Man, I wish I had Samuel L. Jackson on speed dial. Because if I did right now, I'd dial him up and I'd get him to say, what's in your wallet? Why? Because today's episode is all about what's in your wallet. So break out your wallet and let's get into it. Datages, friends and family, we're back at it today, picking up from one of my favorite datages, which is the wise advice I received from one of my mentors, Sam Freshman, who told me, Chad, some of the greatest deals in my career were the ones I didn't do. Our guest today is truly an expert on the topic of being highly selective, conscious, and aware in making decisions about how we make and spend money. Ken Honda is a best-selling author in Japan with book sales more than 7 million copies since 2001, and now he's sharing his work with all of us in the United States and beyond. His latest book is called Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Ken is often referred to as a money guru, but I just finished reading his book, and I can tell you that that moniker doesn't do him justice. I think Ken is a true philosopher, and after reading Happy Money, I have some new philosophies that I can apply to my life, and you'll hear in just a few minutes how I've already done so, eager to share those same philosophies with you today. Ken, we're so glad you're here with us, and I can tell that while you're talking with you about the entire Dadages friends and family can make their money happy, I can tell you that you've already made this host happy, and I thank you for being here. Thank you, Chad. I'm so happy to be here. I'm joining from Japan, and I'm so excited to share what I know about happy money, wealth, family life, and all that with you, Chad. So thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. And thank you for getting up early this morning or tomorrow morning, as the case may yeah. be in Japan, to join us from your home. How does tomorrow look from where you're sitting, Ken? You know, your tomorrow is looking good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Thank you for being the continual voice of optimism around here. Ken, I actually want to start today with the bottom line. And in this case, I literally mean the bottom line on the cover of your book, which describes you as being Japan's best-selling Zen millionaire. I have to tell you, if I could pick anything I would want to have printed on my business card, it would be exactly that, Zen Millionaire. <laughs> but can you explain for all of us what that actually means? What is a Zen Millionaire and how did you become one? You know, uh, in fact, that is a title that a publisher and publicist gave me. So I feel a little shy around that. You know, I, I have enough money. And also I, I love Zen. I think in my mind, I have practiced Zen because all my teachers are Zen masters. When I studied with them, there's teaching style is very unique. Mine is also uh, somewhat unique because in Zen, teachers ask you questions mm. instead of teaching you yeah. real stuff. All my students uh, tell me, sort of like a little complaint, you know, Ken, I brought three questions about life and I wanted to learn from you. And But somehow when I go home, I bring back with five questions. <laughs> so <laughs> that means that they have a good habit of asking more questions. Yeah. And I always say that the ability to ask a really good question means so much more than having the answer. Exactly. Well, that's great. It's amazing to see how you apply Zen in real life and how you apply it to very practical topics. I think that's one of the things that I found most relatable about how you bring philosophy into life. And so let's really dig into the book and, and let's uncover the secrets of happy money. People really mm -hmm. overuse the expression, this is going to change your life. But when I, I can tell you as an entrepreneur, I can honestly say that happy money will change my life. Your book provides meaningful perspective and actually advice that will really have a direct positive impact on my life going forward. I've bought in. I want happy money. And so for the benefit of all of our friends and family at Datages, tell us what happy money is and how it's different from unhappy money. So happy money is money that makes you smile when you receive it in a form of check or from your clients or the company that you're working for. You feel genuinely happy with the money. And also when you pay money, pay the bills or pay at the restaurant, you get up 
lifts you. That's happy money. Unhappy money, I don't really have to explain it because we are in the flow of unhappy money. When we get the money, we feel like, you know, this is just too little. I cannot make both ends meet. And also when we pay bills, I don't want to pay bills. It's almost like holding on to a girlfriend or boyfriend. Don't dump me. Don't ditch me. <laughs> it's like, oh, please don't go. If you're upset, why are you leaving me? You know? So when you have your attitude around money is that way, you can find peace. So that's unhappy money. So if you love your money, set it free, just like a boyfriend or girlfriend. When the relationship has run its yes. course. When you are meant to leave, you're more than welcome because somebody else, somebody better for me will show up. Yeah. yeah. When I do you know, speaking of better money and better deals, coming back to the theme of today's episode, deals not done. If we want to embrace happy money and that mindset, how do we determine what business decisions to avoid, what deals we don't want to do? How do we stay away from those? It's so simple. We have a beautiful navigation system. It's called heart. And you can ask your heart when you're doing something like a book deal or new business deal opportunity. It looks good on the surface. The gift wrapping paper, it looks nice. But somehow you intuitively know that this is not going to work. So ask yourself, ask your heart, is this good for me? And when you feel like, oh, this isn't right, something isn't right, usually it's a bad deal. And you don't know at the beginning, but you know as you go. So ask yourself, is your heart opening up or is your heart closing? And also you can feel it physically. Do you feel like squeezed in? Do I have to do this to bring food on the table? Or I don't know if it makes money or not, but this is the path I should take. Usually the path you're taking like that gives you most money and also happy money. That's beautiful. Trust your heart. Continue to check in with your heart. Don't leave your heart behind on the journey to financial success. It tells you where you need to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, I can take that message literally because as I shared in a recent episode of Datages about just because you can do something doesn't mean you can. I talk about canaries in the coal mine, the little things that we can check in with ourselves and really understand when we're not in the right place. And for me, it's literally my heart, not just spiritually, but physically. I am sensitive to high blood pressure. And when I'm in a bad situation, my blood pressure becomes elevated. And those are the kinds of things that I think each of us can learn about ourselves and what are the things that help us understand what's going on in our heart so that we can really tap in and know where we are at any given time. I think that's amazing. When it comes to happy money, do we have to be rich in order to have happy money? Having a happy money mindset going to help us become more wealthy and prosperous? So it doesn't really matter how much money you have or you make. It's about your attitude. Mm. You can be a super billionaire, but still you're complaining about the size of your jet. That's not a happy money. And also, even if you are make, barely making both ends meet, but as long as you can appreciate money coming in and going out, you are in the perfect flow of happy money. And then if you want to change it, you can change it too. Because happy money always brings good people, great opportunities. So as long as you keep appreciating, the better opportunities will come. You get promoted, somebody will notice you, and people find you. It's kind of hard to stay poor if you're living the true principles of happy money. It's in essence, it's a true sharing of who you are. If you share what you do, and if you share you're super good at, people will notice you. People will make a line in front of your house and then they beg you to give them a service or product mm. because they fell in love with what you're doing. That's why a lot of people come to your podcast, your seminar or coaching sessions, because people love you and respect you. So that's elevation of who you are. And I think it happens with happy money mindset. Absolutely. Happy money begets happiness, which begets more happy money. It's a self-fulfilling and self-perpetuating prophecy. Yes. And once the cycle starts, it's almost impossible to stop because by word of mouth, people come together and then this dynamic will never happen. One time I said, you guys don't talk about happy money, you know, don't live happy money philosophy. And one of the students said, can I can't, you know, <laughs> I cannot live a different life because this is really a life I, I truly enjoy by sharing who you are, by sharing what you're good at, you can create a beautiful life. That's amazing. And, and I love the section of happy money where you talk about money IQ and money EQ. Can you please tell yes. our friends and family what those are and what it takes to be a happy little millionaire, as you say in the book? My father's a successful tax 
accountant. So he started teaching me about money since I was five or six.、Mm-hmm. And then I learned mostly about money IQ. But when I grew up in my teens and 20s, the bubble economy was happening at the time. It's like US and Europe,、yep. you know, the real estate prices just started to shoot up when I was late teens. And I saw guys go up and, and down. The, right. And then I saw some glories and all the tragedies of their business in terms of money. Some of my mentors, in fact, many of my mentors went to be billionaires and then they crashed.、Wow. I've seen so many people's change. And I realized that, okay, maybe you need to learn more about more than money IQ because the financially savvy people sometimes make stupid mistakes in cryptocurrency and in that field, especially these days. You know, they're so smart. They have like three PhDs and, you know, they make billions, but they somehow they find themselves in a jail. Yeah, they outsmarted themselves along the way somewhere. So, because they don't have money EQ, emotional intelligence. So, you need to have money IQ, money EQ. It's like the both wheels of the car. If money IQ is so big, and then money IQ is so big, and money EQ is so big, just your circle around. So, in order to go straight, you have to have a strong foundation of money IQ and money EQ. And when you interview happy, wealthy people, they have both. That's amazing. You go beyond that in the book, you take the IQ, the intellectual, the EQ, the Emotional, but then you really get into the spiritual aspect of money and talking about money as energy. Can you share、yes. a bit more about these really profound concepts? In Japanese, we have a saying you have to be the air in the room. And I think you probably get it if you're in a meeting room, like a conference with 10 people. When you just come in after like 30 minutes, you kind of read the air, what's going on、mm-hmm. here. Is that a positive, happy energy, excitement, or like everybody's shrinking? You know, CEO is yelling and then like we are shrinking. You know, you see,、uh, if you can see energy, what color would it be? Is that like a beautiful pink and gold is like flashing or like a Dark cloud is just, or like raining, or like thunder. You feel the energy. You know,、uh, when you're small, was the air, the energy in your house happy, beautiful, peaceful? Mine was not definitely. My father was abusive. It was very cloudy and it was very scary. It's like a haunted mansion. I re- still remember my friend said, Your house is spooky. We live in、uh, a haunted mansion, right? If you、uh, have a family, check the air inside the family. Is it a happy, joyful, like champagne type of energy? Or is it like a very restricted, like a military, you know, type of like order, you know, and that type of energy? Or depressing or chaos or, or what kind of energy? And also, it's the same goes with country, city. These days, in many of US big cities, my American friends telling me that they see more homeless people, more depression. They hate to drive into the city.、Yeah. You know, that's what they're reading the energy. So, your job is to make your personal energy, we call it air clothes. That means what kind of air clothes do you wear today? That means, like, oh, oh, my boss or my wife is not in a good mood. That means, like, she's wearing an angry jacket.、Uh, that's great. That's an amazing visual. I like that air clothes, sort of like an aura. Yes. So every morning, I just make a conscious choice. What kind of clothes do I、yeah. wear? Do I wear like a depressing or like a scary mode? You know, I hit my 50s. So if I don't smile, people look at me like, a, oh, Ken is angry. You know, I should do things right. Otherwise, You know, he'll be upset. I don't get upset easily, but if I don't you know, smile and go like that, people take it because I mean, I'm older and more authoritarian figure.、Mm-hmm. Without you thinking, you have that aura. So you have to consciously make a choice about what kind of energy you want to carry. Yeah, truly be intentional about it. I think that's the point. You said, as you said, it can happen accidentally, but if you're not intentional about it, you don't know exactly what energy you're giving off at any given moment. Ken, I, I'd really like now, if we may, if you'd indulge me a little bit. We all know this term that's out there self help. And you're not just an author, you spend a lot of time as a mentor and engaging with people and, and really coaching them in a lot of different ways. And I'd like to put you to work here for a moment. I'd like to call this next segment of our interview Host Help. As I said, I really related to your book on many levels. If you're good with it, I'd really like to open up a few aspects of my life and look at them through your lens of happy money in the hopes that we can really bring happy money to life for the rest of the Dadages friends and family, and they can see how transformative it can be. So you talked about the money game. 
And I love the way you describe the money game. You know, I think I'm pretty good myself at what I do for work. I'm good at my job. And it has brought me a measure of financial success. But I think that while I'm good at my job, maybe sometimes I'm not playing the money game properly. You know, a couple of points I want to touch base on and get your perspective on them. And I think our audience is going to relate to these as well. I'm an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, maintaining the operations of my company, maintaining my family's lifestyle at the same time, trying to just keep everything going is like juggling and keeping a lot of balls in the air. And sometimes it can get quite expensive. Sometimes I feel like I might be a slave to what I've built, to what I've created around me. And while I feel great about the organization I've built, I feel great about the family that I've built. Sometimes I feel like I'm continuing to work, not necessarily to get more, but I'm afraid of running out of the money that I have if I slow down or stop because I can't can't fuel what I've built. When you look at it through the lens of happy money, what would you say to me when I describe that situation to you? Your story reminds me of my conversation with my mentor 10 years ago. My mentor is Wahe Takeda, who used to be called Warren Buffett to Japan. Yeah. He was uh, once time a major shareholder of more than 100 public companies in Japan. And that means he's wealthy. So I think I was in my early 40s. And then I asked him, what is the most important thing for a guy like me, who I think is fairly successful at my age? And he said, the most successful person in your 40s could fail in their 50s. Yeah. And they just make millions of dollars and in their 50s, could lose everything in 60s. Don't think your success is permanent. It's almost like a baseball game. Yeah. You know, in the winning of fifth, your team may be winning. And the basketball is even faster. Yeah. You thought you're winning, but even like a few minutes, like when you go to the bathroom and then uh, you're back, your team is losing. You know, how can it be? So business is like that. He also always said, it's like a mountain weather. You don't know what to expect. The other thing as a CEO and entrepreneur, you have to watch out. He said, the sales dog, sales monster. Sales monster. That sounds scary. Yeah, don't tame. Don't bring in sales monsters in CEO's home and don't bring it to your home. All the sales monster eat your soul. Really scared me. Yeah. So, so I asked him, what does this monster do? It's very simple. All the monster says is more sales. And then it's tiny, very cute, like a little kitten. And then, okay, you're cute. So you just give them like, say, $50,000 sales. So the monster grows. And they said, more sales. And then... You feed the monster $100,000 and they say more sales and you have to hire more people. And then the monster grows and then you have making a million dollars, a million dollars in your bank account and a couple million in your, in your company. You probably thought you'd feel wealthy, but by the time you build a million dollars and a $3 million company, this little monster is not little anymore. And the monster keeps telling more sales, more sales, more sales. And it grows to be $10 million and $100 million. Now you have a public company. And then you feel so tiny because all the other guys have a better and bigger private jets and you have only uh, like a few branches and then this monster keeps telling you more sales the thing that why he said is don't bring your monster pet to home that means don't bring your stress to your home because in the bedroom you know while you're relaxing this monster comes into your bedroom and then right before you go to sleep said more sales <laughs> and then you wake up does that ring a bell it, it does I, I can relate i guess i need to learn to slay my more sales monster yeah you you just uh, ask the monster to leave yeah. to the other office, not your of course, office. Of course. Go down the hall. You're talking to the wrong guy. The next thing I wanted to bring up, Ken, to chat with you about is there's a notion in our culture in America, and I didn't know until I read your book that it seems to carry over to mm -hmm. your culture in Japan as well, the sense that you absolutely have to enjoy what you do for work and be passionate about it in order to find fulfillment and happiness. And I find mm -hmm. that this isn't necessarily the case for me. One of the things I've talked about in my podcast with my friends and family is I talk about that I'm good at what I do, it gives me the opportunity then to turn around and do other things that are meaningful and positive for me in the way that I'm investing my time and investing the money that I make. So the question is, if the equation is a little off, if the way that I'm making money 
may not necessarily be happy per your terms, but the money that I'm putting to work once I've made it is happy money for sure. Can you balance in that way or am I never going to find truly happy money in that circumstance? Yeah, so there are two mountains, good at mountains and love mountain. You may be good at certain things like a lawyer, a doctor, you just climb up the you know mountains and then on the top, you know what you're doing and you, you know you're sometimes super good at it. But if it doesn't bring you joy, why do you do that? And also life is not serving other people. Life is about serving you. If the love you have over pours, it's great, but you have to pour your love and passion to yourself first. So a lot of people, especially good people, they put other people first. Yeah. So they try to climb up the good at the mountain. So you, you crave for recognition. Yeah. You want to feel like I achieved something. That's okay. But it's not the best way to live because that doesn't bring you love. So if you what you're good at and what you love are the same, that is beautiful. But if you what you're good at and what you love are different, you have to balance out the time. So a friend of mine who is a lawyer, he works only like 20 hours. He's very good. He's a baseball coach. I think he's one of the most highly paid baseball coach who doesn't get paid <laughs> by baseball, right? But he loves coaching kids. You know, he used to be a coach for his boy, but he's in his 20s, but he loves coaching young boys, right? You can work as a lawyer for 20 hours and then uh, you can just truly enjoy coaching boys. Uh, and then you can balance your life that way. Or like my friend who studied as a janitor who got paid like 30 bucks per day, he was cleaning toilet, but he put his soul into it. He started inventing small gadgets to wash toilets and then, you know, certain cleaners, the wipes, and then he became a matter a millionaire and then he's like a, one of me and uh, one of us he sold his cleaning books about three million copies wow he started as a janitor but he put his heart into it and he loves teaching when we go on a trip he doesn't come back from the bathroom like five minutes i thought he's having you know a bad stomach i said are you okay i said no i'm not okay the bathrooms are so filthy so i had to clean all the toilets <laughs> wow that, that, that's commitment to your craft for sure <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, it's nothing to do with it, but it, he cannot take yeah. dirty toilets. It's almost like a sin um, in his mind. Wow, that, that's really incredible. Here's the third thing that I'd like to touch on, and, and that one was really powerful for me. I'm going to go back and listen to that one over and over again, because what you shared there was really meaningful. But the, the third element that I, I'd like to talk about is I generally consider myself a stoic. And you talked about this notion of what you're good at and service to others and not necessarily looking at what makes you happy. I talk about this a lot on datages. And I believe one of the things that I guide my life by is, as Ryan Holiday says in his books, the obstacle is the way. And it's through adversity and by doing hard things that I think we surpass those things and then find success. And the world, as I see it, continues to get harder in some ways. I see more risk than ever before, particularly in my area of commercial real estate and the erosion of relationships as a foundation of doing business. In contending with all of these things and taking a hard job and making it even harder, can a stoic like me who fights to overcome these kinds of challenges ever hope to have happy money? Or are the two concepts of fighting through adversity and facing challenges and finding happiness in the way that you're making your money, are those concepts at odds with one another? You know, life is like a mountain. You can you can climb however the way you want. You know, you can just climb it alone. You can climb at the shortest time ever. You can climb with friends, just singing, you know, singing and making dad jokes to each other. And they're laughing, you know. You, you don't really care how long it takes. Some people do care. It's almost like doing marathon in, on the mountain. So, you know, it depends on how you want to play your game called life. Yeah. I have no judgment whether you just, you think life is to suffer life is to enjoy. It's up to you. But what I can share is that you can enjoy the path more. You know, if you just look at your watch and then said, I'm going to shorten my time like by five seconds, you can really enjoy birds singing, a beautiful sea scenery. You miss out a lot of stun uh, things. Yeah. Which way do you want to do? It's like slow way or fast way. Sometimes fast way is fun. Sometimes a slow way is, is, is fun. The fact that you have a choice is more liberating. 
For sure. Yeah. Knowing that you have some control over over those decisions and the outcomes, that's always empowering for me, at least, and settling. It settles my mind to have the sense that I'm in control of the choices that I'm making myself. But also at the same time, you know, I think that every 15 or 20 years, something big happens. And then you thought um, you climbed the mountain and then like invisible hands take you over and then you, it'll bring it to the sea. Ah. And then I... What's going on here? Sometimes you don't, these things don't make sense. Yeah. But in a financial world too, there's certain like stop and then you get kicked out from the, your industry, like a movie or IT, like Steve Jobs, something like that could happen to really find, to give yourself a meaning of life. So I'm kind of expected that all the super intelligent people in uh, Wall Street will be kicked out of the business so they can start serving humankind uh-huh. with their genius. Because that, that's what they're born to do. I mean, they're, they're not born to play games with numbers and make money, but they're here to support one another if they have super intelligence. I think there will be a big stop in a financial market. So all the smart people will be thrown out in the market and then they'll start figuring out what to do because you cannot probably make money in real estate and financial market anymore because that time is over. And these kind of rules of money keep changing. I shared the same stage with Robert Kiyosaki Mm. two weeks ago in Singapore. And then he was talking about the same thing, you know, money, small changes, rule changes happen every five to 10 years. And uh, young entrepreneurs don't know that all the big rules change in 20 to 30 years. Mm. And all the professional guys don't even know. Because, you know, if you work for securities like Merrill Lynch, you know, in your adult life from your 25 and if you're 30 or 55 or three decades, money rules are the same. But when something big happens, they would all say, wow, I've never seen anything like this in my career. Yeah, because you're just a young guy. And then when your grandfather was alive, you probably didn't see this coming. We have to really watch out for the big impact which is going to happen. And then you have to figure out how to live your life. So if you want to have everything control, oh, good luck, because you cannot. (laughs) And then you have to go into total surrender. And then you probably ask yourself, what's going on? And then you have to figure out what's most important in your life. That's a little scary, but very powerful and very beautiful. And exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And and I can tell you from my perspective, I think a lot of us are living exactly what you described right now because that big thing, that big change in the rules was COVID. When COVID came, it changed some things and it accelerated a lot of things that were already changing. And I think it's changed the way people do business, the way that they maintain relationships in business. It's really changed the rules fundamentally for a lot of us and a lot of different career fields. Ken, I I really enjoyed this session of you being able to look under the hood with me and look at some things going on in my life. I want to return now to, to talking about you, getting to some of your background and some of the things that really shaped and formed these brilliant insights and perspectives that you have. We talk a lot on Datages about how our cultures, our influences and the origins of our upbringing shape who we are. How much do you believe your heritage and the culture of Japan played into the development of your perspectives about happy money? That's a very good question, Chad. And by the way, I really respect you for being so honest. And also you have such a deep and uh, never ending uh, generosity for the people you serve. So I really want to take my hats off. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that means a lot. Thank you so much. Because you're just uh, not doing for yourself, but you're just really trying to give the best you can. So that's such a beautiful thing to watch. Right. So before I just go into myself, I want to compliment you. Well, thank you. Is thank you. The only that, that country that developed so on its much. own. I think my Japanese heritage has formed me to see very different things that uh, Western people mm-hmm. see. You know, Japan is the only country that developed on its own on civilization different from the Western world. Mm. You know, other other countries like Europe and U.S. and those countries developed sort of like a very similar Christian-oriented uh, philosophies. Mm-hmm. Japan has a totally different set of ideas and cultural rules. So we developed almost like a Galapagos island on species. A cultural Galapagos grow. island, yeah. Yes, and we are still separated from the world. And Japan has such very unique culture. So I was born into that. Uh, the fact that I was born into my father and my mother just shaped me mm-hmm. so I could be a tough samurai 
to be able to go through like you, Chad. And at the same time, I have this peace and also love that Japan has. One of the safest cities in the world, you know. In the morning when I take a walk, this four-year-old who's like this, you know, very tiny girl goes to school by herself. And then they take、uh, subways by themselves. When they get lost, they can grab any adults for directions. And not many other、uh, cities couldn't do that. Because unfortunately, in the Western civilization, what they lost is、uh, trust, social trust.、Mm. I leave everything at my seat to use a bathroom and Starbucks because you know, I trust people in general. I don't lock my house. I have a lawyer for a good friend of mine from in a college buddy. He has no job because I've been doing this in this business for 20 well, more than 30 years and I never had a lawsuit. The biggest complaint in my company is the room is too cold. You know, <laughs> in a big Room. The room is too hot. That's as bad as it gets. From that culture, we learn how to cooperate with one another. You know, instead of growing fast, growing big, we tend to go inward. Say, like when I talk about money container, we are born with a certain size money container. People in the West ask me, Ken, how can I grow my container bigger? And in Japan, I often get questions like, Ken, how can I satisfy myself? How can I satisfy, find my satisfaction with a container I got?、Mm. So it's like a totally different mindset.、Yeah. In the West, you probably don't even question about this, but more is better. The faster, the better. The bigger, the better, especially in the United States. And then people have no doubt about it. There is a word downsizing, right?、Yeah. You don't want to downsize. It's almost like a setting back, it's accepting failures. Getting smaller is so important sometimes, especially when you're younger. If you have a family, you have to spend at least, I mean, in my mind, at least a few years for nesting, taking care of your family, and then you can keep working till you drop. But I'm just hoping because I had four years of my life. I just wish that、uh, a lot of other people, young ones, have at least a few months and hopefully like a year. And if you're lucky, four years off of your life because it's so precious, but people don't even know it. Incredibly precious. And we'll come back to that in a minute because I don't want to lose that topic. That's an important topic. Going back, though, to kind of the origins and mentors in particular. In、mm-hmm. the book, you talk about two individuals in particular who each had a profound impact on your development, your philosophy about money. The first was your father. And you explained、mm-hmm. how much good your father did in working with clients to bring them wealth and happiness and prosperity. But you also shared a story that I found truly fascinating and gripping. About how money can also bring tragedy. It seemed that this experience had a profound impact on you. Can you share a little bit more about both the positive and negative lessons that you learned about money from your father? So, my father wanted to teach me a good part and the bad part of life and money.、Mm-hmm. So, he was a realist. He wanted to teach me not just a happy, happy money, but just the true essence of money.、Yeah. To do that, he often had me. In the adults' meeting, you know, CEO and my daddy, somehow I was asked, I was ordered to stay in the conference room and listen to what's going、wow. on. And I said, I, What am I supposed to do? Just listen. Because he knew the power of observing what's going on. And I think I, I forever appreciate my father. For just including me in those meetings. One time when I came back from school, my father was crying like a baby. And I was so shocked. My father's a macho guy. He won the karate championship and the sword fighting and all that. A very tough guy. He, has, he had two heroes Bruce Lee and Elvis Presley. He was the most macho <laughs> guys ever. And then he was wearing a white thing and he was wearing a wig and just play, you know. Very noisy、uh, electric guitar. My compl- neighbors complaining. I was the one to apologize. Sorry, my、yeah. dad loves music. I think you just, by the way, Ken, I think you just gave me my Halloween costume for this year. I'm going to be Bruce Lee <laughs> Elvis. Yes. So he was like crying like a baby. And I was like so shocked、yeah. because I've never seen an adult guy cry in sort of public.、Yeah. And my mother took me aside and, and she told me his best friend, I sort of knew who that was, and his client committed suicide.、Mm. And by then, I sort of knew what committing suicide means. The worst part is that he didn't commit suicide. He killed the entire family of four, wife and two kids, and he committed suicide. It's called family suicide to save his family from the shame of going bankruptcy.、Yeah. And also, he wanted to cleanse his 
killed by giving up his life to the people who just owed his money. And my father, as a tax advisor, of course, advised him to file bankruptcy. What he didn't tell his best friend is he had little money for his family after the bankruptcy so they can make a living. They can live for a little while. You know, he's a macho guy who doesn't talk like dinner, bath. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I don't really remember he was just talking more than that. Yeah. So he so regretted the fact that he didn't tell his best friend that he cared and he had the money. You know, he always said, I wish. And when he was drinking, he was crying. I said, I should have told him. I should have told him. Uh, and then he went into, slided into depression. So he got violent. Since I was small, I've seen the glories of uh, beautiful success that money brings and also the tragedy that money brings. Personally, I was nine or 10 at the time. I made up my mind one day when I grow up, when I have a family, I'll make sure my family is safe so they don't have to worry about money. They feel perfectly protected so they don't have to go through what they went through and also what we're going through because we are being affected as a family too. We were just happy singing family. Yeah. People thought we were like, they're just uh, so like, wow, you you have such a great family. You're like a circus, you know, because we're just laughing, we play music, I sung, and my sister played piano. Uh, but the music stopped yeah. because of, uh, and my grandmother uh, passing too, that really just um, killed my father's spirit. He was such a happy go-getter type of guy. He was once had the biggest accounting office in Kobe, which is like a million people. So he was a, a very successful guy. So I've seen and also I've learned so much from him. We call it uh, opposite teacher. So I learned about life. That's why I wanted to protect my family. I wanted to have the best time with my family. That's such a chilling story. I mean, I still literally have goosebumps. I, I had goosebumps when I read it in the book and hearing you tell it here brings it even more to life. And it's amazing what you said, how you took that tragedy, internalized it, and then made that a motivating force for yourself and for your family. I often say that from a parenting perspective, a lot of what we do in parenting is either a reflection of or a reaction to what we saw in our own parents. And it sounds like you were able to take the best of what your father had provided for you and also see where the mistakes were and avoid those same mistakes in your family. And I think that's fantastic. My example about sort of inheriting beliefs about money from my own father, it's something I talked about to some degree recently when I was invited onto the Uncensored Advice for Men podcast with Josh Wilson, talking about escaping the shadow of a successful father. But there's a lot more to it than that. And really this kind of came to the surface for me when I was reading your book, because you talk about how much of our attitudes and beliefs about money are inherited and how there can be unhealed wounds that we all carry as a result of this baggage, this background that has an effect on us that we carry along for the rest of our lives. And I can honestly say that's the case for me. You know, my father has this deeply ingrained perspective, I would say bordering on an obsession with this notion that in families, and I know there's a lot of history of this, there's a lot of documentation of it. There's a first generation that creates wealth. There's a second generation that sustains that wealth. And then there's a third generation that squanders the wealth that's created in the family. And he's so obsessed with this notion that he's sort of laid that on us as a family. And that third generation that you talk about in those stories, those are my boys. Like those are my children. And it's very mm -hmm. difficult for me in this environment that my father has created in this sense that he's created. There's a guilt for something that hasn't even happened that passes down through my family. And it's really mm -hmm. hard to, as you described, heal those wounds and be able to step out from under all of that. It's a struggle for me every day to make sure that I'm avoiding creating further wounds for my boys from this legacy mm -hmm. that's been handed down from my father. Yeah. So I talk about, I teach about visible assets and invisible assets. I wrote a book on what you're supposed to teach your kids about money. Mm -hmm. It became a national bestseller yeah, too. Yeah. It's in Japanese. 70 books I haven't translated into English. More is coming. Yeah. It's sort of it's. Well, can I request that one? Because that's the one I want to read next. <laughs> yes. So in it, I talk about visible asset and invisible asset. People focus on visible assets like stocks, real estate, cars, money in the bank, but people often ignore or tend to pay less attention to invisible assets, which is motivation, inspiration, personality, trust, 
and credibility, experiences, and knowledge, those things as highly valuable as money in the bank. Because if you have good personality, good credentials, trust, bonding, network, you can build net worth within a, a couple of years. People tend to forget about that. And also there's something called invisible debts. Mm. That's what your kids have. That's regard myself as a second generation too. Yeah. I am an entrepreneur myself, but I'm also like a spoiled son. You know, in a sense, I went to a good college and he just uh, spoiled me in so many ways mm -hmm. that you can probably relate to. And so the other one, the second generation tend to be like either too harsh on kids, tend to do anything. When you create scars in your kid's heart, that's what they just waste all the money or just they go into a drug addiction and all that. It's because a lot of entrepreneurs tend to cash out their kids' future. That means that they create a lot of holes, you know, they don't spend time with their kids, so they create holes in their hearts. So in their 30s and 40s, so when the entrepreneurs' kids are small, they grow without knowing where your father or mother is, so they feel empathy inside. So that's why after entrepreneurs become successful in their 50s and 60s, they have to pay back the karma that they owed, yeah. almost like an invisible debt. Yeah, yeah. All the money they, they created, they have to spend on drug rehabilitation center or just taking care of their kids because they didn't. So the best way to prevent it is, is not to create holes in kids' heart. But when you're busy in your 30s and 40s, you don't have any space to care for your kids. But, you know, this this kind of thing repeats. Yeah, for sure. It becomes a vicious cycle if you don't try to break it. And I appreciate you saying that. And it gives me a lot of optimism because I think that is one of the big things that I changed is my father was very absent in my life when I was growing up building his company, building his wealth, providing for the family. And I'm grateful for that. But I made a conscious decision to be very engaged and very active and very present in my children's lives during that time. And in some ways, it took me away from some of the financial success that I might have had and some of the things I could have done. But I would never change that decision. It was very, very important to me. And I want to now talk about your other mentor, your money mentor, Wahei Takeda. Mm -hmm. I love the stories you share about Wahei and the candy factory. I picture him as like the Willy Wonka of Japan. Can you tell yes. us what it means to have a money mentor? Tell us about Wahei and what he taught you that is so important and fundamental <laughs> to you. Yeah, he's a mind-blowing mind person. Never met anybody like that. He believed in the power of arigato, saying thank you. Why would you ask Warren Buffett if you have 30 seconds with him personally? That's what happened to me 10, 12 years ago. I was in a long line one time at the party. I had a, a quick opportunity to ask a quick question to Wahei Takeda. He's a legend. I was an investor one time, you know, when I was semi-retirement, I, I was making money with uh, three investments. So I knew how big he is. I had this opportunity. So I asked him, what is the secret of money? And he said, with a big smile on his face, he said, arigato your money. And then I got pushed out from the sick next guy, you know, from behind. <laughs> like, arigato your money? What does it mean? <laughs> but I couldn't ask the second yeah. question. And uh, luckily, about a month later, I had another opportunity. This time, I had three hours of private time. I could ask many questions. And, and uh, the next day, I sent a big orchid to say thank you. How much is worth if you just have three hours of Warren Buffett time, yeah. right? So at least I thought wanted to show my express appreciation. And the next day, I got a package from his office and small package. And I just open it. Do you know what's inside? I can't even guess. It's his gold coins. Wow. And then it says on the cover, gold coins inside. <laughs> And then, like, oh my God, he sent me, it's worth like a few thousand dollars, wow, right? Yeah. Well, he said, I had so much fun time. I'm just giving you a gold medal for what you have done. So if he was alive, Chad, you definitely got one of those gold medals. Uh, he loves to congratulate people yeah. who are making a big difference in the world. Well, that's, that's amazingly gratifying and sweet. Thank you so much. Yes, I feel so validated when I receive it because he knew Oh, by the way, I, I was in a different interview, so I was showing this. I just gave away these small pamphlets before I became an author. This is on happiness and money booklet. And I just uh, started sharing and I gave away 100,000 copies before a publisher called me and asked me to write. So he knew that I was a giver. Mm. So I had said, I want to congratulate you for giving away so many booklets. And I was so validated. You know, I didn't ask for validation or recognition, but that was the first time that I felt so validated. And I think the validation I didn't get from my father. 
Definitely. So he became like a father to me and we, we became very close. We hung around together. We had like sometimes eight hours of long discussion mm -hmm. about money and life. I just wish you met him because you probably fell in love with him like I did. But I can see his reflection in you. And I can see that, that the validation that he was able to provide you is worth so much more than 10 times the amount of gold coins he could have given you. A hundred times, a thousand times means so much. And I understand in my heart how much it meant to your heart to receive that from him. Yes. And, and I want to come back to what you brought up earlier, because I think it's so important. And because the theme behind all of this is deals not done, you are kind of the master of this. There was a point in your life when you had an epiphany and you didn't just walk away from a deal. You walked away from a career and you took your life in a completely different direction. Can you tell us more about that and what it empowered you to do and how you made such an amazing life-changing decision at that point? We found out about my wife's pregnancy we decided to take a few weeks off, yeah. but that got extended to a month and three months and six months. By the time my business was run automatically, yeah. I didn't have to go to my office. And my father and my brother, who were accountants, they're doing everyday things. So I, I was there to say hello. And then I didn't really find a place to fit in. So, okay, just you guys do whatever you need to do. And I just focus on my, my child. And so I had four years of doing nothing. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I was happy father to see First time my daughter started to walk, talk. I think her first word is daddy because I was there. That's what I think. First, she started singing something. The first, she started eating. It's the first time. And uh, a lot of fathers are so busy, so they miss out the opportunity. But I was there to witness. And it's it doesn't have any financial value. But as a father, I was so happy to see and I was so happy to read thousands of books to my daughter I think she has uh, good language skills, and I think I, I take a credit for, but she doesn't. It's okay. She doesn't even, even remember. I used to read hours for her, and not before go to sleep. We spend three hours afternoon, in the morning, and in the park. I always carry three or four books in the baby stall, and then read her books in the park. She doesn't have any memory. <laughs> she doesn't need the memory. She's got the benefit ingrained into her. And I have the memory, yeah. so it's okay. Yeah. You know, I was so happy doing that for four years. And that, that really gave me uh, such a marketing uh, uniqueness. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it at the time, but just imagine myself. You said you missed a financial opportunity, but I guess I didn't. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way. You know, what if I kept working for another four years? I probably made a few million dollars more. But because I stopped, I made even more money because people thought I was so unique. I saw millions of copies because of my uniqueness. Yeah. So for me, that was that seemed to be the right decision. Four years off, no income in terms of working income, yeah. but it was okay. I learned to be an investor. I learned to be a business owner and I need to trust more. I had so much fun. I thought I was missing out the opportunity, but by having time off, I was creating a great career, which I didn't know at the time. You thought you were giving a gift to your daughter only, but it wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't a compromise. It was actually a gift you were giving back to yourself at the same time. That's that's amazing. Yes, because, you know, I interviewed with my wife, uh, older people like the people in the 40s and 50s and 60s. I asked everybody, what would you regret most? You know, when you look back, you have all the money, you have great companies. And what would you regret? And all of them said one thing. I wish I spent more time with my family. More time. Absolutely. Everybody. You know, I thought like, you know, they would say something different, but I said more time. Okay. You know, if it's a complicated thing, I cannot do, but more time, I can do it. That's how I spent four years. It's amazing. That time is precious. And it's clear that it's paid off. You have a very special relationship with your daughter. Can you tell us about that relationship now, how that's evolved? And then also maybe share with us what your go-to advice is that you'd have for parents who want to try to cultivate that same kind of relationship with their children and, and pass along the gifts that you've been able to share with your daughter. Yeah. So my daughter started singing professionally last year and uh, she and I do a concert together. About last two weeks ago, we did a big one in uh, Fukuoka, Western part. And then and in December, we're going to have a Christmas concert together. That's beautiful. Oh, you know, by the way, I don't, I don't sing. I talk, she sings, not the other way Perfect. around. You know? When I sing, I have to pay everybody. <laughs> but it, we have uh, such a deep uh, bonding because of that. And also the money education people often ask me, 
about my daughter. I just only taught her one thing since she was small. I taught her money is fun. That's the only thing I taught. Because if money is fun, she wants to learn more about money. She, so she just asked me about investing. She asked me about business deals. I, I never taught anything. I just show my life. So she learned so much from looking my life and how I attracted thousands of people in my seminar. And I just talk in front of thousands of people all the time. I taught her about how to do it, not in details, but I'm sort of like on the job as my father showed me. I just let my daughter hang around with me. Uh, she never had a formal education. Her formal education is uh, kindergarten. We studied a creative school. She never had any examination in her life. Wow. She's very one of a kind. She never got any vaccination, no test, no criticism. So I think she's a one of a kind uh, because she's never been hurt in that sense. A beautiful orchid, for sure. Yeah, her name is Stella Venus. So if you Google her, you, you see lots of her videos. I will. She I'll, I'll check like that out. And we'll also make sure to make that available to the Datages friends and family on our bulletin board on our website if they want to All right. check her out as well. I mean, that's just such a beautiful story. And I love money is fun. Like I want to go make a t-shirt with your face on it and money is fun. That's what I want. So if you're looking for uh, stocking stuffers for Christmas, I think you should be putting those t-shirts together. You got a customer right here. Speaking of connecting with you and our bulletin board and things like that, I Ken, I want to make sure before we wrap up here today, I know there are members of the Datages friends and family that are going to want to connect with you. I know I've seen that you have a couple of different places you've established online, kenhonda.com, and that you've set up happymoneymovement.com. Can you tell the Datages friends and family what they might find online and where they can connect with you? So I have a largest online salon in Japan, and I started doing the same thing for English-speaking people. And we have a community called Arigato Living Community. Okay. When we appreciate about money and uh, how to find your gift, how to monetize it, I teach once a month and people from 30 different countries get together once a month, sometimes European time, sometimes American time, North, Central, South American people. It's easier for them to gather. It's Japan nighttime is good European time. Japan morning time is good for US. So right. it's interesting because we really experience the world is round because of the time difference. Yeah. I, I started teaching globally. I understand how we function in terms of time zones. Well, that's fantastic. I will definitely make those links available. I'm going to check them Thank out you. personally. I would love to participate mm -hmm. more and, and learn more and, and be part of the community you're building. Because I think it's such a powerful and positive community with great things to learn and share. And speaking of great things to learn and share, we're going to go against, as I understand it, the advice that your daughter has given you and give you the mm -hmm. chance to participate in one of the legacies that we try to uphold here at Dadages, <laughs> which is the legacy of the dad joke. Tell us, first of all, share with the friends and family what your daughter told you about your dad joke prowess, and then share your very best worst dad joke with us. I'm a master of dad jokes and my daughter adores me. She respects me about so many things, but she said, daddy, as long as you don't tell dad jokes, you're a perfect guy. <laughs> so like, and I just gave her uh, dad jokes back to her and she was laughing. I'm called master of languages in Japanese. So I don't have many good collections, but the other day I was uh, in uh, North America around Father's Day. And when I went to a bookstore, there are like hundreds of dad jokes books. So I bought 20 of them <laughs> and I studied many of them. So I love good jokes in English now. So the one, so you want me to share now? Well, yes, you've set the expectation. You are the master. It's time to deliver. Oh, because, you know, I, I talk about do what you love, right? So it's like sort of like a twisted it. I hate my job. All I do is crash cans all day. It's soda. Depressing. <laughs> so depressing. So depressing. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. That's a great pun. I'm teaching a different kind of lifestyle, but you know, so depressing. Absolutely. So, if it's so depressing, just remember that money is fun. Yes. Yes. That's what I wanted to say. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, Ken, this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed connecting with you. I've enjoyed engaging with you. This has been a, a great dialogue for me. And I hope that the uh, rest of the friends and family has taken a lot away from it. I know they will. We're going to keep following you, make sure that we, we stay up with you and that we keep the uh, Datages friends and family apprised of everything you've got going on 
all over the globe, as you described. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's meant so much to me to be able to, to get to meet you. Thank you so much, Chad. And uh, I'm just sending everybody happy money energy to you. And I will receive it. Thank you so much, Ken. <laughs> and to the Datages friends and family, just remember, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does.